This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast. Later in the podcast, we will uh, answer some emails for you, your questions, your comments. Send them to MikeFrancesaPodcast at gmail.com, and I promise we will get to some on most podcasts, not all, but most, and we will get to some later today. All right, uh, I'll get to the NBA in a second. I'll get to the Yankees and the Mets in a second, but first let me begin with the Rangers, uh, who have completely taken over the town and why not. A a terrific performance in game one, and now they face the defending champs in a game two. We know all the numbers, how overwhelmingly good Tampa is after a loss in the playoffs. We know how they answer adversity. We know we expect them now that they've put a game under their belt, and it was an ugly-looking game for them. A lot of mistakes, a lot lot of poor play, Uh, a bad game for them on a lot of levels. They now uh, have a habit of bouncing back. You have We all have nothing but respect for them and their stars and their coach and everything else. So we will see. But one thing here to pay close attention to is this Ranger team is getting better by the game. You love the fact that this is a team that blends youth and experience, and you watch the young kids getting better by the game, getting more confident by the game, getting more cohesive by the game, uh, getting more consistent by the game. And it's no question that the Rangers played their best games late in the Carolina series, and now they topped it with their game one performance against Tampa. So it'll be fascinating to see what happens in a game number two this evening, and this will tell you a lot about this series. I think we'll all be stunned if Tampa doesn't bounce right back because that's who they are. We know how tough they are. Even if they lost this game until they get beaten in Tampa, I would not think the Rangers were in any commanding position. But you know what? We know that the Rangers will ensure themselves a very long series with a win uh, tonight. So game number two and can't wait for it. It's been uh, great entertainment. And I know that Ranger fans can even believe what's going on. But, uh, hey, enjoy the ride because it is starting to get extremely interesting. Extremely interesting is what happened last night. Game number one in the NBA Finals now. As we previewed the series a couple of days ago, what I said to you was this series was going to come down to shoot the three and defend the three. And those words were prophetic because they broke three-point records last night everywhere. And when you see two teams combine for 86 threes and make 40 of them, the Celtics shooting over 50% from three, and then putting on that fourth quarter performance where they make nine of 12 threes on the road in a fourth quarter. That was, if you watched it last night, if you watched that game, 
as Golden State fiddled with the last few minutes of the third quarter. Like you, I thought the game was over. Golden State doesn't lose at home in the playoffs. They had a 15-point lead. It's got cut to 12 at the end of three quarters. You think, all right, you know, they're in great shape. They're in tremendous shape at the end of the, the period. You got to feel pretty good about it. You know, they outscore them by a big margin in the third quarter. Now, maybe, you know, the Celtics edge back in and lose a five- or six-point game. Instead, what we saw was just mind-boggling. Horford becomes uh, Kevin Durant and puts on a show. I told you to watch Horford in the series. I even was shocked by what I saw last night. I mean, for him to go out there and make six threes for the first time in his career and do it in an NBA final, and to get Horford, White, and Pritchard to go 18 of 27 from the floor, but then have them combine for 13 of 19 from three, those three players. Remember, Tatum has a nightmare last night. He has a terrible game. Curry has a huge first quarter. He did not play well after the first quarter, but he has a huge first quarter, winds up having a, a big scoring game, okay? Overall, a big scoring game. And you figure, or anyone does, Curry got a 34, and Tatum goes 3 for 17, scores 12 points. This game's a Golden State. This game's a Warrior win. Instead, Warriors blow him out with the biggest fourth quarter in NBA Finals history, a 40-16 pounding on the road. I mean, they just stunned, absolutely shocked the Warriors with this performance. Green, Poole, and Lowry, 5 for 24. Horford, White, and Pritchett, 18 of 27, including 13 made threes. That can't happen. The assessment now after game one is usually where you make your biggest adjustments in a, in a final, in a seven-game series, in any seven-game series. It's going to be interesting to see what Golden State decides. They either have to get scoring out of their bigs, you know, where they have a game last night where Green goes two for 12, Looney goes one for four. They either have to get scoring out of their bigs or they have to go to the small lineup because they have to make the Celtics, who are very good individual defenders, they have to make the people guarding the Warrior bigs guard somebody. They're not guarding the bigs, which is going to make it very tough on Curry. And very tough on the Golden State scorers. If there's two guys in the lineup, they don't have to guard. So Kerr might be forced to the small lineup, and the small lineup might be the way to go. That'll be very interesting to watch in game number two. It's probably the adjustment he'll make. I would think he would go to the small lineup. Poole's got to play better. Obviously, Looney and Green have to play better, and he has to make a decision on the bigs or go small. And go to the small lineup and just score. But remember, a game like this is going to push everybody to the Celtic side after game one. And there always is overreaction after game one. And there'll probably be more overreaction after this game one than normal. Don't overreact to game ones. They're just game ones. This one is historic. It was mind-boggling. It was unexpected. I thought the game was over after three. 
as far as the final score was concerned. And to see that happen, to see a team go 9 for 12 and shoot the ball like that in the fourth quarter. They did a masterful job on Curry after the first quarter, after his first quarter explosion. He wound up with 34 points, but he did not play well after the, or shoot well after the first quarter. So the Celtics show you they belong, and they showed you in a very big way they belong. Now it's up to Golden State to bounce back, just like in the Rangers series, it's up to Tampa Bay to bounce back, but never discount champions. And Golden State, and especially Tampa, are championship units. Tampa has won the last two. Golden State's been a while, but they still have a nucleus that's championship-tested and championship-proven. That series has a long, long way to go. As for the Yankees and the Mets, let's start with the Mets first because last night they get blanked for the first time in 53 games. Listen, you're going to run into a tough Dodger team after the Dodgers got swept by the Pirates. And again, you know, with the Mets, they always can be a little limited with their offense. You know that. That's always the way it is. I mean, that's always, always can be the case. Was last night. And again, the Dodgers who can, you know, can pitch to the cows come home, as we know. And Gonsolin has had an incredible year. You know, Gonsolin in the National League, Cortez in the American League, just incredible performances so far this year. And the Mets last night, who, you know, are not used to playing without Lindor, who obviously had the finger injury. They're vulnerable. They're vulnerable to this Dodger pitching. And this next three games, even tonight's matchup, will be very tough on the Mets. If the Mets got two games out of the next three, it would be great to get a split. If they win one out of four in Dodger Stadium, I'm not going to be upset. I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. Uh, with Nolan Dorr, we don't know how many days he's going to be out yet. Facing the kind of pitching the Dodgers have, it can be tough to score. And the Mets might find it hard to score right here. But remember, they still have such an enormous cushion. I would not worry about it right now. And I would not get worried about anything that happens next couple of days. Yankees win the first game behind uh, Cortez, who continues to just be as good a pitcher as there is in the American League. Five and one with a 1.5 ERA and 87 whip. He's at the top of every category. I mean, he's just been utterly brilliant and utterly consistent and getting deep enough into games. The Yankee pitching has been overwhelming. Their offense, I mean, Judge has been MVP-like. We know that. They've gotten timely hits. They've gotten some hits from places you might not have expected it, like the shortstop or Trevino. Um, But they still have some issues in that offense right now, no question about it. But then they come back and really get one, steal one in the second game as they uh, propel this angel losing streak now uh, to eight games. So the Angels leave Yankee Stadium reeling as they get beat to double dip. Yankees taking the second game, a wild ninth inning. You know, saw what went on with the hits batters, where he hit Trout, and then he hit the next batter, and the bases are loaded, and he gets out of the inning. Holmes does. 
So the Yankee pitching, from what they get from Cortez and Holmes and really everybody, I mean, they've gotten such great pitching, overwhelming pitching, and that's why they find themselves with a five-and-a-half game lead despite being 36-15. and 15. And remember, Tor- Toronto has joined the fray. They've won eight games in a row. If you wonder where Toronto was and when they were coming, well, they've come. They've won eight games in a row. They're in second place right now. They've edged ahead of uh, Tampa. So as the Yankees open up a weekend set against a very comfortable Tiger team for them, it should be a good weekend as they should continue their winning ways this weekend, win another series minimum against the Tigers. Toronto has joined the race with this eight-game winning streak. And for the Mets, hey, could be a couple of rocky days in L.A. Don't let it bother you. You know, sooner or later they were going to get shut out. A couple of times they're going to get blanked. Don't be surprised if they have their troubles against this evening facing a left-hander, which is not anything they do well. So we'll see where the Mets are. But like I said, if they got one, You'd live with it. If they get two, just don't get swept uh, this weekend with three more games remaining against the uh, very, very talented Dodgers. Your emails right after this. You're listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Mike Francesa podcast at gmail.com. That's where you send them. That's what you're listening to. Uh, just send your uh, comments, your questions, anything uh, to Mike Francesa podcast at gmail.com and we will uh, get to it. Um, as we hit the summer, we will uh, let you know soon what our plans are for football, but we have some interesting ones which we'll get to for you. Uh, real soon. All right, Adam is emailer number one. What are your thoughts on the Yankees signing Matt Carpenter out of nowhere? He seems to have a potential as a lefty bat, which the Yankees always needed home. Um, hey, you make pickups like this, they don't cost you a whole lot. If they're productive, and Carpenter so far has been, we know he has had his moments, more than his moments, as a productive hitter. So if he adds something to a team that can still use some offense and can still use some consistency, there's nothing wrong with it. So, again, anything they get out of him him is a bonus. And, again, the Yankees will have to make hard calls. I don't think it's a hard call on Gallo. I think for the Yankees it's a harder call on Hicks, especially for Cash, who likes Hicks a lot. I know Hicks had a couple of hits the other day, but they were a couple of flares that he that found their way into the outfield. I mean, they weren't any rockets, that's for sure. Um, I am not impressed with Hicks at all offensively, so the Yankees will have some decisions they have to make there. But they have gotten some offense from unusual places or unexpected places, and they've gotten some big hits despite not getting enormous performances, even out of Rizzo. For the season, they've gotten a lot of big hits out of them. They've gotten a lot of big hits out of Torres, out of Rizzo, guys like that. And, of course, Judge has been MVP-like. How would you handle Barkley's future with Big Blue? Listen, the worst thing the Giants could ever do is place a premium on the running back position. The running back position in the NFL has been relegated to a position you want to be handled by multiple people and be situational, meaning that you want to have 
two backs who are interchangeable and a third guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield or if the second guy can be a really good target out of the backfield. That's what you want out of your backs. You don't want a back that you took as a high draft pick. You don't want a back that is going to command a high salary. When you do that, you have strapped your team and the Giants went down that road from day one. It was a mistake with Barkley. This is not any indication on the player or the unlucky nature of his career at times so far. The bottom line is you don't want to make it a premium on your team. You don't want to build your team around a running back. It is very difficult to do. And if you do it, you're usually not successful. It is a complementary position for the most part. There are exceptions every once in a while. Look to Tennessee for one. That is an exception. For the most part, you want it to be a complementary position. John in Pittsburgh, my question is, if the Mets maintain a large divisional lead, should they consider holding DeGrom back until much later in the season? Uh, what is the point of pissing, pitching him unless it's absolutely necessary? I disagree. Listen, you are not going to tax DeGrom with a big lead in the standings. Buck is as smart as it comes. But that doesn't mean it isn't time to get him back to the mound by July. Get him pitching five innings, six on a good day. Let him get command of what he needs to get command in. You're not going to tax him, but you need to get him back and get him in the rotation. So I don't think you want to wait even one day more than you need to to get him back to the mound. Yes, you will have the ability to negotiate his innings and to, and to really put a real budget on his innings and keep them to a minimum. That will not be a problem. It's not like you're going to overtax them, but you do need to get him back and get him on the mound. Will from Long Beach. What's the deal with LeMayu? Clearly he's not the same player he was his first two years with the Yankees. All right. Well, last year we know he suffered through an injury. We know that we lived through it. We didn't really know about it right away, and then we found out that he had the injury that was lingering. Uh, his first year was just so overwhelmingly good. That was probably better than he has been, than he has been in his career. He was amazing that year. He was as good a hitter as there was in the league that year. But he is still a lifetime 299 hitter. I have a lot of confidence in him, and I think he will be better than he has shown so far this year. I would not worry about it. All he is, if you think about it, the difference between being where he is right now and hitting 300 the rest of the season is just one hit a week, two hits max. So all he needs is to have a couple of balls find a hole. He'll be fine. I, I am not worried about him. From that standpoint, I think there's a lot of guys on the Yankees to worry about. Uh, I would not make LeMayu one of those guys. I do not think he's a guy you need to worry about. I think he'll be fine. Again, send your emails, comments, questions, whatever, to Mike Francis Podcast at gmail.com. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan, and you can share the excitement with me each week. 
on the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missanelli Podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.